0: So we talk about ships, we talk about money as well, and uh, I would like to welcome you to the uh, panel that is going to discuss uh, capital markets and shipping. Uh, so uh, the, I mean, capital markets have shown uh, revival for shipping lately, so we look forward to uh, a panel of experts uh, who are going to share their insights with us. Uh, I'd like also to thank, obviously, Krista. Uh, 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 I'd like to thank all the panelists, uh, Jim, Larry, uh, Chris. But I'd like to thank Krista in particular, who's the partner for this particular event, uh, for her help, uh, you know, sharing the the heavy burden of the event. So thank you very much. And Keith, thank you for moderating this panel. Uh, I will turn it over to you. Again, thank you to everybody for being with us. Super. We have a great panel for everyone today. We have four bankers with us who are among the most active in the shipping space. We work with all of them regularly on all of our capital markets transactions, um, and I'm excited for a great panel here today. Uh, we have Cristobal Pacelli, who's the managing director and head of global transportation at Citi. We have Jim Serenza, who's a managing director at d We have Larry Glassberg, who's a partner and senior managing director at Maxim. And we have Chris Wires, managing director and head of maritime investment banking at Stevel. You know, so we'll jump right into it. You know, the markets, as you all know, have been very hot and very resilient. Um, Deals in the shipping space, you know, have been getting done. And so I want to get the views of our panelists, you know, just to discuss the markets generally and how uh, shipping fits into that. So maybe we could start off with Krista. And you you give us our view, your views on where the markets are today.
1: Sure, happy to do so. Thanks, Keith, and um, happy to be here with, with this group of colleagues from other firms. So I guess with respect to the markets generally, um, when you look across the capital markets broadly, not just China, it has been just a tremendous last 12 months of activity. Uh, really accelerating in 2020 uh, and, and continuing that pace in 2021. It's hard to believe that we're sitting here in the beginning of March. Uh, the first is really just uh, been a bit of a blur in terms of how, how busy all of us have been. Um, equity markets remain robust, trading at very enthusiastic levels. Um, a lot of activity is happening in sectors such as energy transition, sectors such as SPACs. Um, but as, as Nicholas commented in, in his opening, uh, you know, we, we saw the first shipping IPO uh, in six years um, yeah. you know, we brought to market for Zim in the U.S. markets. Um, so equity markets have continued to be supportive. Convertible bond markets, 2020 was a record year for convertible bond market issuance. Um, in in the U.S. and you know it's a market that can be quite appropriate and attractive uh, for some of the larger shipping companies which are listed. Um, High yield bond markets continue to be strong. Uh, The the city high yield index is trading at a bit above four percent which is you know a 25-year low in terms of, of overall levels. So that is supporting robust issuance so, you know, as general speaking, you know, all of our capital markets desks are just increasingly busy. Uh, when you think about shipping's place in all of that, um, you know, I would say 2020 was certainly a challenging year in terms of valuations. You saw valuations down 50% in tankers and dry bulk, um, a little bit less in sectors such as uh, LNG down 20 to 30%. You saw out, significant outperformance by the liners. Uh, So it was a difficult year in terms of backdrop and valuations. Uh, We started off 2020 a bit better in terms of many shipping sectors kind of being up 10 to 30%, depending on the company, depending on the sector. And so, you know, it does feel like a time where, um, you know, there, there could be a more supportive backdrop for shipping in 2021. I think it's very nuanced and very situation specific in particular because of all the attention that is being given to other sectors within the market i think some of the themes that we have talked about in past years in terms of what makes a shipping equity attractive to investors are still the same and i'm sure we'll talk about that later in the panels but certainly the overall backdrop is supportive and really, I think it comes down to um, the individual corporate level in terms of, of where evaluations valuations, does it make sense to be accessing new capital? This is a cyclical industry. And so, um, you know, one thing we all know is it's more beneficial to be raising capital when you don't need it out of a period of strength, um, but still a lot of focus on balance sheet liquidity and, and proactively managing capital structures is, is a theme we're also hearing.
0: Chris, uh, anything to add to that?
2: Yeah, let me let me comment, first of all, I mean, last year broke records in terms of issuance of investment grade, considering a c- couple of months of the year where the market was closed to high yield and equity. Uh, it's incredible how much paper came out. Um, if you look at the um, if you look at the last uh, six months of the year, you know, as it relates to Europe, Norway and Sweden uh, represented uh, probably half of all the issuance out of um, out of Europe. And the equity market in general has just had an incredible tear now for the last three months. And if you wanna point out a two week stretch that just shows how you know, vibrant these markets have become. In the first two weeks of February, there were 186 mm-hmm. IPOs, SPACs, and fallen offerings priced in the US market. Um, obviously both of those weeks, uh, each on their own broke a record. Um, the amount of paper coming to the market has surpassed the levels of share buybacks. And that's only happened a couple of times in the last 20 years. So the the issuance is phenomenal. Uh, Cash levels among institutions are getting a little bit lower. Um, People are getting to the point where they might need to sell some things to buy some things. But shipping has certainly found its way uh, into the capital markets. Um, Certainly the dry bulk sector, the container sector, the cruise sector, both in terms of equity, convertible bond and uh, and and debt offerings. And, and I'm I'm thrilled to see that uh, the evolution of the green bond market has finally embraced shipping. And we can talk about that a little bit more later.
3: You know, Keith, I, I would say is, you know, what we're and I think Krista pointed to this a little bit. It's a lot of it is going to be situation specific. Um, I think in the shipping markets today, um, you know, I think there's a very big bifurcation between small cap and kind of maybe the larger small cap companies that are public because you know at the end of the day most of the shipping companies are still small cap companies to to a certain extent um you know we're like all of our colleagues that are on the panel today you know volumes you know risk is a bit on the table and i don't think i've seen as much risk on the table uh in the 20 years that i've been doing this but in particular on the shipping side because we've done 35 equity deals uh, within the space since the beginning of last year. Um, we've seen active institutional in, uh, in investment coming into the transactions that we, we led all the deals that we did last year that, or in this year, 35 world-led managed transactions. Institutional interest has picked up as well as retail uh, and you know, retail through our platform as well as uh, other investors within the market. But I would tell you is in the last six months in particular in, in the dry bulk market, uh, a number of the deals that we've done, sizing uh, as well as valuations have increased. And we actually did a, a transaction about two to three weeks ago, which was a $75 million follow on for a dry bulk company. Uh, and the pricing of that um, was probably one of the most creative places and equity financing has gotten done in the market. In the last five to ten years for a maritime company so there is risk on the table there is a lot of demand and that's coming both from the institutional side as well as the retail side broad-based not just shipping pretty much every single sector out there in the equity markets today chris
0: anything
4: to add to with the Lisa, uh, yeah so so i'll just i'll just add you know at steeple we focus pretty much entirely on the middle market like we're a diversified middle market investment bank. So, you know, we recover essentially all industries, not just marine. And and last year in the middle market, you know, it was, you know, the busiest year we've ever had. Um, and it was particularly busy from a equity capital markets perspective, but the debt capital markets were shockingly busy as well. When I try to call the capital market bankers, you know, to get them to, to, to focus on different opportunities, they, they, they've literally never been busier. They're, they're doing like a, New SPAC IPO, it seems like, every week. They're de-SPACing a SPAC every week. The technology and biotech space is doing great. Um, If I look back at 2020, I'd agree with what, you know, Krista and the other panelists said. It was, I think it was the slowest year I can remember for, you know, commodity shipping as it related to the capital markets. There was very, very little activity. But as we've kind of moved into 2021, activities picked up a lot. I know Larry's talked about, you know, some of the equity offerings his company's done. Um, we haven't done any equity offerings, public equity offerings yet this year for shipping companies, but, you know, I, I know Chris, this bank got the IPO done for Zim, which is, which is, which is great. And, um, and, and the trading activity that we've been doing amongst the shipping stocks, particularly in dry bulk, but also in, um, in, ta- in tankers and, um, containers has been the highest it's been for years and and there's a lot of big you know quality institutions that have been on the sidelines for a number of years that you know we've been spending a lot of time you know working with either in banking or in in, in research and 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 sales that are are spending time in shipping and we're seeing them starting to buy stocks and shipping these are guys like fidelity and 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 wellington and you know a lot of the big you know quality names that have been on the sidelines for a lot of years i think we're going to see a a big capital markets year, you know, develop in 2021. And I I suspect it'll get better in 2022, because I think that's when we're really going to see the shipping markets get better.
0: You know, we'll come back to the IPOs in a minute, but I want to kind of dig in a little bit to the types of transactions that you guys have been working on in the shipping space. You know, Larry uh, alluded to a bifurcation in the market. You know, maybe you could speak specifically to How companies are actually raising money, you know, what the specific transactions they're doing, you know, and and are they happening in certain sectors or in certain size companies. Um, Larry, maybe you want to start us out on that.
3: Yeah, listen, I I think, you know, sector wise, um, you know, we've been doing deals in pretty much across the board in in the three major verticals tankers, dry bulk uh, and container side. Um, you know, last year, again, we did about 31 transactions in a combination of registered directs, uh, confidential and market of public offerings, uh, ATMs, and this year we've done four follow-on offerings uh, on the equity side uh, w- within the space. So I think we, we've been the most active in the, in the market um, by many folds on the equity side uh, in the shipping space, and again, I think a little bit ahead is the bifurcation in terms of sizing. Uh, and also deal size in the market. So a lot of the companies that we are focusing on are the sub $500 million market cap companies. Uh, and in particular, in the in the smaller size shipping companies, liquidity has picked up dramatically uh, within the market. Uh, and I think what's in the aiding and a lot of the capital raising that's going on, especially in the secondary markets from a secondary point of view or a follow-on point of view, is really the liquidity profile uh, of those companies. Uh, and I think liquidity is enhancing one, the type of buyers that are coming into the store, both retail and institutional, to the sizing of deals that are getting done. So we did a $75 million follow-on for a company about two to three weeks ago. uh, That was up from a $30 million deal that we did for another company uh, a week before that um, versus some of the sizings of deals that we're doing last year were $15 to $25 million in sizing. So risk across the table will get us back. I think liquidity is driving a lot of demand from... From, from the investors, I would tell you, is the, the $75 million follow-on that we did uh, for C Energy, which is a, a dry bulk company focused on the cape size market. Uh, that was a deal that had 20 plus institutions that were coming into that transaction. So very active institutional market that is coming back into the names. Uh, and we are seeing retail demand because we do have a, a large retail distribution platform ourselves coming into you know, a lot of the transactions that we're doing from an underwritten point of view. Uh, But again, liquidity is driving. I think a a lot of demand in in names today.
0: Jim, DMB sits in an interesting spot. You sort of straddle both Norway and here in the U.S. You know, what types of transactions have have you guys been focused on?
2: I'll start with the I'll I'll start with the plain vanilla stuff first. It's been uh, maybe our most active stretch in terms of ATM activity because share prices in a few segments have been better and, and volumes have been substantially better. Um, we've, we have just did a $300 million plus equity raise for Golden Ocean two weeks ago. But to me, the, the big breakthrough this year is the um, sustainability link bonds. So, it's been very difficult in the past when you think about how the green bond market has evolved in the last decade. It's been very difficult in the past for carbon heavy industries, even if there's a transition to get to be less carbon heavy, to utilize these markets and their cost of capital was substantially higher. Um, and shipping has um, had a very difficult time. You know, we did um, several years ago a green bond, although the newspapers called it a gray bond for uh, TK Offshore. Um, But this year, uh, January, February, uh, we raised $200 million for C-SPAN in a sustainability linked bond, and we raised over $100 million for Ogfeld in a sustainability bond. And if you were to talk to those companies, I think one of those companies would tell you we got a better price with a sustainability bond than we would have with a straight bond. And the other company would tell you we were able to upsize our offering by a third and uh, we probably wouldn't have had access to to raise that kind of money had we not had a sustainability link bond. And so when you talk to companies like Sustainalytics, which have among the third party vendors that have opinions and advise companies and advise investors, their perspective is, we need to have KPIs that are relevant, but also targets that are ambitious enough. And, you know, what's the right approach to setting targets that's reasonable for a shipping company? But it's great to see the evolution of the green bond market end up with these sustainability targets that uh, impact, you know, greater investor access, impact pricing and impact these companies' behaviors going forward, because now now that they've issued the money, if they want, if they want their coupons to be the, as low as they possibly can be, they have to hit the targets they've laid out.
0: Chris, anything to add? Chris, I think you're on mute.
4: Sorry. And and the questions, anything to add on like green on, on green like green financing, right? And crossovers between Norway and um and the US?
0: You you can answer that, or if there's any specific transactions you want to talk about, that that works well
4: too. Yeah, so 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 we, we don't really do a lot of, of financings in, in Norway, but we, we have worked together with DNB on you know a few financings in the um in, 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 in the US. So um so, so, you know, I, I, I guess from my perspective, you know, we, we hear a lot about green finance. Um, I, I, you know, I, I know the new CEO of, of cities talking about, you know, green finance a lot. Um, and I know the European banks have been talking about, you know, green finance for, for years. Um, it, it's getting much more serious in the United States than I've ever seen it before. I still have not seen a green finance deal get done in the U.S., um, but, you know, we're, we're spending a lot of time now, you know, looking at like offshore wind in the U.S. that we never looked at before, looking at, you know, various renewables. Um, investors that we talk to on the private equity side are, are very focused on um, on kind of, you know, investing in green companies. Um, so so it, it's definitely, I, I'd say, Coming very quickly into in, in the U.S. market, you know this focus on, on green. We just don't have the subsidies today that you know I, I know a lot of the European governments are offering that you know effectively you know drive a lot of those um, those green bonds in Europe. But we'll, we'll see what happens now that we got Democrats and you know all, all both the House and, and and the presidency. So Krista, you know I, I want to give you an
0: opportunity if there's anything you wanted to add on specific transactions. Uh, that you're seeing, but I also wanted to come back to the Zim deal, which you had referenced uh, initially. The IPO market in shipping, you know, when you were handling Zim, is this a case of, of a company that was able to differentiate itself uh, in the marketplace, take advantage of an opportunistic period in, in, in container shipping in their, in their sector, uh, and was able to do an IPO, or is this part of a broader trend Uh, that we're going to be able to see in shipping and will you see spillover into to other sectors, you know, going forward?
1: Um, It's a good question. I would not characterize the Zim IPO as opportunistic, you know, because the container market is hot. I would describe that IPO as a long-term evolution of of the company's strategy in terms of you know establishing itself and liquidity for its own shareholders. And and look, I think that for too long there's been a view around, you know, IPOs in this sector that you know they can be, you know, very opportunistic when there's a hot market, you see companies kind of rush to try to to bring a business public. And there's a reason why you haven't seen more IPOs in shipping in the last five or six years. And that's because I do think that the bar is higher. And, you know, the question of, should a company be public or private? Um, there, there's a lot of, I think, reflection a company has to do in terms of what's the right strategy for a specific um, management teams. I think that in terms of, you know, where are we focused today in terms of what are the kinds of transactions that, you know, we have done and you'll see us doing, um, you know, I think one, Aspect that I think is unique about City. I mean, you know, we are we are a, a global international investment bank, but with a very specialty focus uh, around shipping. And um, you know, we've got team members in New York, in Hong Kong, in London, in Oslo, and you know, we have specialists on the product side in all of those markets. Um, you know, you don't see City play in the OTC markets in Oslo but we actually have a dedicated um, distribution sales force within the region. And so when we are working with our clients, um, we, are, we are looking at marketing offerings globally. Um, shipping is an international industry. And so you know, different markets can um, be more appropriate at different points in time. And depending on the size of the company and how much capital they're trying to raise, there's different depth in certain markets. And so, you know, we, we play in, in, in most of those markets. And so I really think that it, it's hard to characterize um, a one size fits all topic um, to pick up on Jim's comments in terms of the trends of ESG. It's absolutely um, an increasing area of focus for us. Um, you know, we have a very specific group within city um, that we call our sustainability and corporate transitions group that is very much focused on, ESG trends and themes across the equity markets, the debt markets. You know, working with clients, you know, many many shipping companies have published you know their sustainability reports and and you know there there's there's different degrees of ESG in the capital markets. There's specific financings as you talk about green bonds, but there's also just a general more focused level attention that we are definitely seeing all investors pay play, uh, pay to shipping in terms of how are they managing their ESG agenda and so even if it's not a green specific financing, we are finding that as we think about um, selling different stories or selling different equity or debt to investors, it's, it's an important part of the narrative.
0: We'll come back to ESG in a second. Um, just to continue with the theme, you know, with IPOs, you know, Larry, your firm is uh, very big in the, in the SPAC world. Uh, for those people who on the, on, in the conference that don't know what a SPAC is, it's a shell company that goes out and does an IPO, the proceeds are put in a trust, then, you know, the company has about two years to go look for an acquisition target, and it's a means of of doing an M&A target on the back end to go public. Uh, You know, as share prices tick up for shipping shipping companies, you know, are we going to start seeing SPACs in the shipping space? You know, we haven't seen any yet, They've been, you know, dominating the capital markets recently. I think it's now. I saw a flash that it's a seven hundred billion dollar industry, half of all capital markets transactions. Uh, is this something that we're going to see as shipping companies uh, to be targets, or will operating companies actually sponsor them uh, themselves?
3: Well, you know, it's funny because I, I, there probably isn't a day that doesn't go by where I'm getting reached out by a ship owner or someone in and around the shipping space about a shipping spec and or a direct IPO. So I think in the last week, I probably had 10 to 15 conversations around the SPAC issuance for specifically rated to uh, shipping and or IPOs, just generally in, in the market. Um, from a historical point of view, as Maxim has been involved about 30% of every SPAC to come to market as an underwriter, co-manager, or syndicate member uh, since early 2000s, and we've probably been involved with north of 50% of all the shipping deals that have come out, um, you know, from a, from a SPAC point of view, too, as well, both from an initial point of view as well as on the, on the M&A front. Um, until, you know, I think we see, start seeing really sustained valuations uh, of companies trading significantly above NAV. Um, I think both the IPO market as well as the SPAC market is going to be challenged to be able to get deals done and really received well from from a market point of view. And and, and the challenge, you know, with SPACs and, and to a certain extent as well as from from an IPO market is, um, you know, ship owners, you know, are very focused on NA, NAVN from a valuation point of view and public market investors, if you're going to probably buy the security in a de there's going to have to be a very big public to private private arbitrage between NAV and where you can create a company by taking that company in at some at either an NAV or a discount to NAV and have the stock trade up. It's like, for our argument's sake, NAV is 1.3 times in the public markets to create a return, uh, not only to get over the, the promote in the, the embedded dilution in the SPAC structure, but also to have the stock be able to trade up to give investors a return not too dissimilar from a, from an IPO point of view. Um, so there are definitely a lot of people that are tiptoeing around it. Uh, the challenge in, in some cases for people that want to go out and create a new SPAC today is um, there are, you know, let's call it 365 SPACs that are out there looking for transactions or targets today. And a lot of those existing SPACs can easily change their focus or sector focus uh, to go after shipping if they wanted to. Um, so, you know, listen, I, I think there are gonna be shipping specs that are coming out. Um, I can't tell you if we have any in the pipeline, but um, you, you will see a lot of activity coming out. It's really just gonna come around is is there sustainable valuation arbitrage spreads uh, for people to be successful um, with being able to de-spec.
0: So just go back the ESG uh, like that, like that I'm making before. Now, investors really see climate risk as, as, as investing risk. Uh, shipping companies you know, are the most efficient way to move goods on the planet. They've adopted many government regulations to limit greenhouse gases. Uh, they're taking steps to evolve and, and new propulsion for engines. Uh, As far as as investors go and as far as the E and ESG, um, with shipping companies, is this more of an investor education issue where they need to sort of teach investors about all of the green efforts that shipping companies are involved with? Or do shipping companies need to fundamentally do anything different uh, to appeal more to the investing public as we move into this era of decarbonization and, and going green?
2: Um, maybe I'll start with Chris, Chris. Actually, let me, let me take this one because I I was on a panel last week with Sustainalytics and so I'll give you their stats. Shipping, if they don't adopt stricter sustainability targets, will go from 3% of our planet's carbon emissions now to 17% of our carbon emissions in 30 years time. The efforts that other industries are making are far greater on average than the efforts that the shipping industry on average is making. So, you know, January 2020, congratulations, important step. Poseidon principles, congratulations, important step. But the world is evolving and shipping needs to evolve faster. Sorry to interrupt.
1: Chris anything
0: to add to that. Krista or Chris. Right, I was asking Chris
4: wires. Um, okay. You can go next Christmas. Oh, sure. Th- thanks. you. You're, you're a little bit hard to hear Keith. Um, I'm sorry, but <laughs> 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 So, so yeah, I know I talked about it a little bit before. So, so I, I, I mean, ship. Shipping is generally a, a group of followers as it relates to things like you know carbon, um, and they and they really kind of need to stay followers because it's a commodity space, and 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 they're not going to get reimbursed for you know capital expenditures to you know reduce carbon emissions if their customers aren't willing to pay them for those um, pay them for those expenses. So. I mean, there, there's global regulations that are going into place that you know are, are requiring a reduction in carbon emissions of I don't know the exact stats, but I think a 50% reduction in carbon emissions by either 2040 or 2050. Um, so, so shipping's definitely like headed in the direction of you know trying to emit less carbon and be and be more green. But as all the ship owners we work with will tell you, in order to do that, we have to identify a new propulsion system for shipping. Like you can't use oil, um, you know, to fuel these engines, and 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 it's a huge infrastructure issue around the world to figure out, you know, what that new fuel is. I think a lot of people seem to be triangulating around hydrogen, but you know, at this point, there's little to no hydrogen available, and until we get, you know, massive kind of green Um, energy generation sources online you know it 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 costs a lot of money to make make the hydrogen so it's not economically feasible to to use that today as a fuel source so there's definitely a lot of pressure amongst investors and companies I think to figure out a a, a solution and you know I'd love to know what it is but I don't personally think the solution's necessarily going to come from the ship owners I I think we need the Shells and the and the um, and the Exxon's and um, and you know and 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 the Marisks and the WalMarts you know essentially you know the, to, to work together and and help the global community figure out what our new propulsion system is going to be for, um, for for
0: ships. Krista,
1: anything to add to that? Sure, I, I agree with Chris's commentary that there's broader industry forces here, and it doesn't come down to any one individual ship owner in terms of affecting this change. I think when it comes down to the, the question of how do you raise capital in the face of a focus on ESG and all of this transition and all of these pressures, I think it, it, it comes down to um, you know, working with your banks, working with your advisors to identify the right investor targeting. There are some investors out there who will put a bright line in the sand and say, I'm making an institutional decision not to invest in something that touches oil. And no matter what a tanker company does, they're not going to change that view. So you can be wasting your time talking to that investor. There's many more investors who are taking the approach of, I want to support a company within a certain industry that is being part of affecting change. And is you know making investments to transform their fleets that is you know becoming part of these initiatives and so I think within within the shipping sector we have to acknowledge where we are we have to acknowledge that there are limitations and um, you know we're increasingly being very focused around investor targeting so that we're when we're raising capital whether it's on the equity or the debt side we're focused on the investors who can embrace you know what what that particular shipping company can actually offer with respect to, to talking about these things. But again, it also comes down to, I think the, the, on the company side, um, management teams are actively thinking much more about how they make sure that they highlight all the initiatives that they have to investors where you know two years ago, it, it wasn't the case that, that these things were being highlighted to investors. Many of the companies in the space are doing a lot of great things Um, that that we need to make sure investors understand.
0: So as far as positioning goes with respect to shipping companies, a lot of them have been earning money. They have cash on their balance sheets. What do shipping companies need to do to make themselves the most attractive to investors? You know, is it share buybacks? Is it dividends? Is it growing the fleet? You know, what what makes a shipping company in this environment, you know, most attractive
2: to to investors and and what should they do?
0: Harry, do
3: you wanna start with this one? Yeah, listen, I, I, think it, I think it depends on where you kind of are in the value chain. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of, you know, we've come through a, a time period where a lot of the shipping companies gone through restructurings and the deleveraging of the balance sheet. Um, I think there are probably some fundamental, you know, conceptual ideas that we have to talk through from a capital markets point of view of what works in the shipping world, right? Does 50% leverage work? Does 80% leverage work? Does no leverage work, right? I I think this is all evolving as as a condition to what has come from the past for the development of the capital market. Some of those stories have worked. Some of those stories have not worked. Um, You know, and obviously if you're a a billion, $2 billion market cap, that's going to be a very different story than someone that's a 100 to $200 million market cap because you can get growth of your fleet very rapidly with a smaller market cap company or a smaller fleet um, from a growth point of view. I, I would say as most of the companies that we are working with today uh, came through some type of deleveraging effect uh, are now, you know, have a fair amount of equity on the balance sheet through capital raising uh, and are really going into growth mode, right? They're seeing great opportunities for, for acquisitions. They're, they think they're buying at the right pricing. Uh, they have upticked on where they've entered the market on certain assets over uh, over the, uh, over a short period of time, and they're looking to deploy more capital uh, to enhance uh, the value of their fleet. So um, today, I would say the investors that are coming into our transactions are seeing rapid growth of the, the fleet sizes of the businesses, stories that are not, not over levered or moderately levered in, in some situations, and ultimately have volatility with the underlying asset price as well as kind of rates within the market. So a lot of the companies that we're working with today are not fixed. Uh, they're more running on spot uh, to, a, to a certain extent. Uh, and, and as rates start to pick up, uh, I think, you think you'll see cash flows, cash flows picking up as well as underlining equity values as the business start to uh, grow pretty rapidly. Chris
0: Wires, uh, anything to add to that?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, from, from
4: my perspective with what we're seeing, you know, there's, there, there are like real targets that I think public companies need to, you know, reach in order to be interesting to institutional investors. So number one thing that we hear is, you know, good corporate governance. Um, A lot of, I'd say most of the bigger public shipping companies today have good corporate governance in place. Um, and I think if you want to become a big, you know, market cap shipping company with with a broad, you know, institutional ownership base, it's critical to have um, to have good governance in place and, you know, and, and make it clear to investors that, you know, you're thinking about them first, you know, not management teams or, you know, or, or, or you know, related party managers. So, so that's, you know, really key number one. Key number two is low, in my opinion, is low leverage. Um, I mean, companies with high leverage, assuming, you know, the market thinks, you know, values of their ships are going to go higher in the short term, theoretically can raise money. But those are those sorts of companies are, you know, typically end up going through restructurings. Um, I I think there's been a huge deleveraging of the industry over the last, um, you know, several years, we've gone through a crisis, you know, over COVID. And I don't think we've seen any shipping bankruptcies um, that wasn't the case at all around the financial crisis. So, so low leverage is, 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 really key. And then I think, you know, if companies, you know, for commodity shipping companies, they, they, you know, if, if your shares are valued meaningfully below your nav, you need to be buying back shares. You need to be paying dividends. You need to be paying down debt. You should not be buying assets um, unless you use shares. And, um, and when, when your shares are at NAV or a little above NAV, that's when you should be taking advantage of, you know, using cash for acquisitions um, and, 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 and raising capital. And the markets have gotten pretty smart. So, you know, it's very hard to raise money above NAV for public shipping companies. So when they trade above NAV, typically they do an equity offering and they get it done around NAV. So I think, I think those sorts of models, you know, work, and that's what we got to focus on. Um, And and hopefully shipping companies can find a way to consistently trade above NAV. Because we're we're also seeing a lot of going private activity, as I'm sure everybody's aware of. You know, Corps announced it going private. Gaslog Limited's announced it going private. Um, You know, we've been working on some going private transactions. So I think some of these companies, you know, that for whatever reason can't get valued properly in the public markets, even doing the right thing, you know, need to evaluate, you know, alternatives to, to, to go private.
0: So we, we only have two minutes left here. Maybe we can just go around the room really quick, and then you can all give us your final thoughts. Um, Krista, what would you like to leave us with?
1: Um I, I guess final thoughts would just be maybe going back to where we started, which is 2020 was really just an unprecedented backdrop in terms of the forces of change in terms of socially, politically, economically, the pandemic, and really I think it's accelerated a lot of trends that were already underlying in terms of energy transition, consolidation, how companies are thinking about balance sheet. And so you know the broad markets are supportive. Uh, there's a lot of capital being raised and within the shipping sector, there, there will be capital there. Uh, it all comes down to the specific situation of how an individual company can has a strategy to deliver value for those shareholders over time. There's you know a lot of companies competing for capital. We think there's capital there for shipping and and there's a good backdrop to support it. Uh, but it all comes down to to the individual story of of the management team.
0: Jim, twenty seconds?
2: Sure. Listen, I think the, I think there's some great examples in the last two years of companies that clearly show they care about their share price. You look at the tanker space last last year with companies like EuroNav buying back shares, or in the LPG space with Dorian buying back shares. Um, you've got uh, you've had a decade where the S and P quadrupled, and the and the shipping stocks on average halved. And so it's good to see the kinds of examples we're seeing in terms of share buybacks, dividends, taking companies private, showing that you care about your share price.
0: Larry.
3: Markets are, are euphoric, markets are active, and as an issuer coming into the market, you wanna take advantage of that. Um, you know, capital is flowing, uh, you know, and having done 35 deals within the space in the last, you know, let's call 14 months, um, take advantage of it while you can, um, because there will be a reckoning, and you wanna have a, a very strong balance sheet when that reckoning comes uh, to be in a position to potentially pick off other assets to be able to support the
0: the market.
4: Yeah, I would I will just add, I guess my, my last comments is um, you know, I think there's incredible value in the marine markets right now. Um, especially when you look at you know how much value's increased in other sectors outside of marine, and marine really hasn't benefited at all from the great capital market situation we're in. So I, I think there's I think there's great value. I think investors are going to realize that there's great value, and, and I, I think we're going to see companies' share prices trade up considerably this year, and hopefully become more attractive candidates for raising equity capital.
0: I just want to thank all of our panelists. Uh, Nick, thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. That has been a great panel. Uh, great insight. Thank you so much to all of you. Thank you.
4: Thank you, everyone.